Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Gavaza, and for today we get into uh, the hard economics uh, of uh, the week. Um, uh, it is a Friday, which means we look at what the state uh, of the economy is looking like. And uh, a lot of the time we tend to focus on uh, you know issues around your interest rates and uh, what's going on in terms of uh, things like monetary policy, macroeconomic policy, policy and the like uh, and today is no different except that uh, today we are taking a property focus looking at a specific sector and what uh, the macroeconomic conditions have done to you know a particular sector and what they are likely to do um, going forward and that's going to be uh, just a look at the state of property in light um, of uh, all of this that's going on and to help us to understand and give us a sense of what uh, the market it is looking like we are joined by Mitesh Bawan, who is the managing director of uh, Bro Properties um, Energy, Water, and Sustainability Division, uh, to give us, you know, what's going on over in uh, the commercial property sector. Mitesh, greetings to you today. Good morning, Madiwa. Thank you. Thank you for having us uh, on your show. Look forward to the conversation. No, most certainly. Thank you so much for being with us. Now, Amitesh, um, before we get into um, uh, the wider sector and what's going on in property, um, your particular organization as Bro Property, uh, just a little bit of insight into Bro Property and where you guys actually fit on the property spectrum because there's commercial, there's residential, there's all of the stuff that's going on. Where do you guys fall? Yeah, so, uh, Madiwa, we, we sit in the sector that manages the the assets and manages the facilities and manages the occupiers so uh, we don't own these assets but somebody needs to manage them. somebody needs to manage the income the expenses somebody needs to manage the cleaning the security the energy the water um the the maintenance of these buildings and that's where we fit in and we fit in across all um, all, all properties, uh, residential, retail, industrial, and commercial. Okay, cool. Now, now that we have uh, an understanding, um, you know, around that, uh, we, as I said at the beginning, we tend to look at um, on on Fridays. We tend to look at the hard economics, and uh, we've been following quite intensely all of the different interest rate decisions, things like your inflation, all the different indicators from uh, producer price inflation and uh, APSA PMIs, all of this stuff. And um, I guess for now, we're taking a, a, a look in the rearview mirror uh, to the first quarter of uh, 2023. And uh, just to get your sense of how uh, the real estate sector uh, has performed in the first quarter of the year compared to some of the earlier predictions. It is down um, five, I think it's five, 5.5%, 5% around, around that mark. And... Um, the, the the I think the trend is that you know when you when you talk about inflation, the inflation outlook um, looks like it will will steadily increase because of the fundamentals of of what the inflation rate is made up of, and some of the cost of the goods because of the operational costs are increasing, 
and therefore we, we you know we we have to protect and the only way to protect is uh interstate banks we also follow i mean closely follow the american um, market so they are currently in an interest rate hiking cycle and you'll see we we, we most likely have to defend against the, the the fluctuation in the exchange rates as well so trends are, are looking um, toward inflation increases in interest rate hikes which means um, a, a knock-on effect on, 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 on the property sector Okay, so when we look at uh, you know what's been uh, going on in uh, that particular quarter, um, what do you? What are some of the trends uh, that have actually come up as a result um, of some of these factors? We've got high interest rates, we've got high inflation, but uh, specifically in the property sector, what are some of the trends that are now popping up? They are. I mean, if you look at if you cut up the the property sector into the commercial, the retail, and the and the industrial. Um, the industrial sector, um, you know, have been doing better than the rest, uh, purely because of what is what, what COVID drove us into, and um, in terms of, you know, how we, how we, um, as as how how we, it, it changed our patterns in terms of how we do business and how we how we procure uh, um, products, etc. So, so some of the sectors are, are did better than than the rest. Commercial properties obviously struggled because, uh, you know, you weren't allowed to go into the offices, etc. And then they came up. Then there's the new hybrid um, working in, environment, which didn't, which didn't, um, which which created longevity in um, commercial spaces. So, uh, commercial properties had to re- a lot of a lot of entities had to reduce their spaces. Commercial properties then had to react in terms of um, you know, reconfiguring spaces for, for, for their tenants. So that came also obviously at a cost. And so reinvestment and then uh, that trend has seemed to, seem to have, um, you know, speaking to a lot of the, the major entities, uh, they've come up with certain hybrid scenarios because they've consolidated their space. So even if they want to come back to the office, it's really not, um, not uh, basically they can't do it anymore because they don't have the space requirements for for this stuff. I think this hybrid, uh, you know, the hybrid working model is 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 um, there will be some longevity to the hybrid model, and therefore it has to impact on the on the commercial space, especially in terms of planning and building that's happened. Some of the hubs that would, we've seen here in Santon, um, vacancy rates, the talk of the semigration into you know. Uh, Cape Town and, and the coastal areas where you you know can work uh, remotely, much like we're doing, I guess, this podcast. But this is, you know that's it kicked in another sector in terms of of, of how we communicate um, and the effectiveness of our and obviously the overhead costs that come with these uh, commercial spaces. So the trends are, I mean, that's what we've seen come out, but hasn't it's been impacted? Obviously, um, a lot by by the insecurity of, of energy. Um, we actually thought that um, there might be uh, more activity in the commercial space because maybe the commercial space could have offered the, um, the tenants uh, better security in terms of energy than somebody would be, put, for example, working from a 
um, which would have come at an additional cost to to uh, the person uh, working from home. So, so I mean, to solve for that, this is solve for one building that that gives you the energy security, the ability to work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We thought it'd be more of an influx. You're seeing some of it, but um, you know, not as uh, you know, not as rapid as 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 what 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 the predictions were in terms of in terms of coming back to the commercial space. One of the questions that arises from what you're saying, uh, Mitesh, uh, I'm just listening to you talking, and you know, I guess the scenario that the scenario and the picture that you're painting is quite um, relatable when people think about all of the changes that were happening during the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly the lockdowns and what it did to the commercial property side. But what I'm curious about is. Um, from a commercial real estate property manager like like brawl right what's what's happening during that period are you losing the number of properties that you're managing is it a slowdown in the type of activity that's happening at those properties that you have to manage so for example i think you mentioned cleaning services obviously that gets reduced because you've got less people coming in you know etc like how is it how is it affecting your economics? Yeah, um, that's to that's the impact. Um, you know, less cleaning, less management. Um, you know, of, of the properties. So um, clients did partner with uh, property management entities to make sure that that you know certain things were paid. I mean, apparently seventy percent of our cost of our PM business, um, you know, were 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 covered, um, and and then we obviously internally had to look at what we can do about the shortfalls, etc. So profitability obviously would have would have decreased. But um, in terms of the facility management side of the business, no, there was no real impact because the facility still needed to be maintained. In fact, I remember seeing that a lot of the um, a lot of the entities also doubled down in terms of maybe um, you know. The refurbishment and um, um, some of the activity that would have impacted people um, when they were in their spaces. So, so a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of refurbishment, a lot of, you know, what was what was staggered and um, went into into um, the buildings in that time as well. So, yeah, facility management. It's, it's, it seems. I mean, what 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 the, what the message is that there were there was there was partnerships around it. All right, it so certainly makes sense. Now that we are, I guess, in the in the present and uh, looking at, um, you know, some of the what you call this, and uh, looking at um, what's going on now, pushing ahead into the present and the future, what do you see going on now? I think there's a there's there's another bit, but for now it's just more around um, you know we've come out of a state of disaster, um, you know we're stabilizing interest rates, and at the same time investors are probably looking at the sector to say you know is it is it is it a good time uh, to be getting in uh, to the local you know commercial property sector? Your view on that front? So, my view, and I must tell you. Um, is that look if we're talking about the state of disaster i mean there's, there's been elevated states of disaster right so so i mean in terms of, of the electricity crisis in terms of what's happening in kzn 
um, those type of, 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 of impact. I have actually seen a lot of resilience. Uh, South Africa, in my for, from what I've seen at, in, versus globally, we are very intuitive and while people talk about entrepreneurship, etc., I think we are very solution-driven um, economy, you know, and, and resilient. Um, we are resilient as a people. Um, so what I see is amazing, amazing technology, amazing ideas coming out of the situation that uh, we have been put in. So the influx of all of the solutions related to taking you off grid, for example, you know, um, we're in, we, we are on a macro level, we've got the ESCOM that's got the, the issues. You know, mo most countries, I don't think there'd be a country in the world that could have adapted at the rate at which we have. You, 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 we've, we, obviously, in the property sector, we are inundated with solutions of, of entities trying to sell on solutions into the property portfolios. And we then, uh, you know, because we manage, manage these, these entities. There have been ideas around and, and technology and solutions, financial modeling, costing the whole maintenance, all of these things taken into account. Where we've seen some amazing, amazing, amazing technology, people coming together to, to formalize businesses to tackle these issues. Um, uh, there, is a, there is obviously a, a government drive, uh, you know, to, to resolve this. But I mean, that's always, you know, that's always going to take long. Policy setting, all of these things, they're always going to lag. Private sector, I mean, you know, we've seen uh, they they adopt, they adapt, and uh, and they implement. And um, I mean, I've just seen some amazing amazing technologies that have come out to answer some of these some of these issues. Uh, we, you know. I think just keeping with uh, what you call this, I like the fact that you that you're bringing up the the technology theme, um, because one of the things that I, I I wanted to hear it's always great to hear someone actually saying something good about uh, SA and uh, the crisis that we've all gone through. You know, the fact that um, few countries would have been able to adapt the way that South Africa was able, you know, to adapt. That's at least, you know, something that we can look at and say, you know, kudos to what you call this, kudos to SA Inc., um, you know, for being able to do something like that. And uh, I'm, I'm hearing you now bringing in the aspect of technology and the like, and very keen to explore that theme a little bit, especially because um, of your role at Brawl around energy, around issues of sustainability, you know, just to get a sense of what's, what's exciting you or what are you seeing in your particular space, um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, the present moment. I, I've been observing, you know, for example, just how much um, a lot of buildings that invested in, let's say, solar, for example, now start looking like geniuses <laughs> because of uh, the present the present uh, you know the present situation um you know that we're in um having a sustainable off-grid type of building now seems like the way to go as opposed to the old way of doing things uh the people that were investing in such things back in the day it probably it, it probably looked like ah uh, 
we know why we're doing this, but really, you know, is this really something to get into? But now when you're faced with a crisis like load shedding, you're like, okay, fine. This thing is, uh, you know, really making sense. So, you know, what are you seeing, you know, on that front when it comes to some of these technologies, energy, uh, sustainability and the like? Well, okay. Let's let's talk about it from a local level. Let's say Mudiwa, you in your house were being supplied by a local municipality in ESCOM and you were you were getting a bill at the end of the month and you were happy to pay the bill because uh, it seemed fair and it seemed relative. Suddenly now you've got additional cost requirements. Now you you you, you say, okay, well now I don't have energy in this time of the day. What am I gonna do to displace that? What does that actually talk to? It actually talks to Mudiwa having to understand what his energy consumption profile is. So Mudiwa will get a consultant in. And this guy will say he's going to sell you a solution. And this, then you say, oh, but, but, but how much energy am I using? Now, the, these are the conversations. Now, so now, now Mudiwa has to upskill himself in terms of understanding how he's using his energy, what he's using his energy on. And I have sat in meetings where Two years ago, these uh, individuals and entities may never have had to think about it. But if you think about the global picture, since we, we I mean, I understand that we are in a we're we're in a predicament because of our energy availability factor, because of also because of the mix of generating units we have and what those generating units can provide. And what the, if you talk about the SA Inc., what does the SA Inc. profile look like in terms of energy, in terms of water? What is the SA Inc. number in terms of energy usage per person, energy intensity per person, water intensity per person? And what can we do? What can SA Inc. do, but what can we do? So now, again, people have to, have to uh, upskill and educate themselves around energy, around what's on their bill, um, you know, uh, why are they being charged? Just, okay, if I'm being charged five rand a unit and I've got a solution that's going to sell me energy at two rand a unit, that's great. Now, what does this open up? This opens up now the understanding that this network, especially with ESCOM talking about privatization of the network, is this network will Basically, you as a consumer will want to understand what am I paying per unit per source. So now the question becomes: Okay, from the grid I pay two rand, from the this source I pay one rand. Then you get another supplier and it says, "Well, I can put solar and sell it to you for one or eighty cents." But now you need to understand what is the availability of that energy source at that time and how does it match my profile. So, so in that, we, we know that they are, they should be based on the, what, we, what we can see in terms of ESCOM. If the, if the power stations were available, we do have enough energy. But the cycle of maintenance, the cycle of breakdowns, those are sort of things are impacting on that availability of these, these units. So we now need to plan for what is available 
from which source. If you look at um, what's happened uh, again in the in, in the global global um, in, you know in, in the global energy space, the same thing is happening in the UK and Europe because of the unavailability of gas uh, because of the war between Russia and the UK. So you have entities uh, that are now saying, okay, well now hold on. Uh, gas is not the way to heat the building. We should look at geothermal technologies. We should look at this. We should look at that. I mean, most of of of, of the networks in you know in in the, in the established and the first world economies have got the ability to be able to trade and buy energy at certain prices. You don't have to buy from Eskom. So because Eskom is now not able to provide or provide at a cost above what um, you know, people are willing to pay, and there's additional opportunities for generating capacity to come in at a much lower price it's now to say in this time we can we can buy from this source at this price and that can be a a, a knock on effect from from the ground but also um basically provide an answer to the national objectives let's say we we have solar if you look at what california has done California, you know, in during the daytime, they've got so much solar and generation that they don't need um, the, the the generation, any other generation, basically. From they've got renewable energy from 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 during during you know I think it's from from like let's say eight in the morning till four in the afternoon. Then they've got these, so they've got this rapid decline based on the demand and the availability of production because of the renewable and solar in particular. And they've got a, so they've got a rapid um, decline in uh, requirements in the morning and then a rapid incline in terms of grid requirements when there is no sun, right? So it can be done. It's now to say, okay, if we've got this section of our profile, of our 24-hour energy requirement profile, Result, then what can we do in the rest of the you know in the rest of the time? You will need these backup uh, generators, but you'll see that you know over time these backup generators will basically be or the generation will become baseload generation with an adapt adaptation of other sources of energy to tackle what I call activity based energy intensity and acti activity based energy consumption because. Mudiwa, when you're sleeping, what are you using? You know that your energy consumption should be driven by activity. So now you need to have a look at what it is that's happening out of operating hours and what's happening in operating hours. And what do those numbers look like? I mean, in some instances, we see 50% of consumption happening when there's no one in the facilities. Now that's a problem. So now you've got to internally look. You don't have to... You don't, you don't have to look at different sources. You can internally look at what's the setup of your facility and why are you using so much energy during those times and what can be done about it. And that, in terms of an economy on its own, I think will drive a lot of upskilling in terms of building energy auditing, any energy auditing facilities. But, but what it will also drive is the ability to be able to install um, online metering platforms that basically will be able to track your energy consumption, give you alerts. There's a whole other economy in terms of IoT, 
Internet of Things and active demand management, active energy management. So in the future, you'll be able to determine, okay, these are essential and these are non-essential because that's where we actually currently are. You know, if you think about it, you need to understand uh, what is essential and what's not essential. What is essential for you in a building to be able to operate and what's not essential, you know? And how do you actively manage that? So active management of of elect um, electricity and 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 uh, those type of of assets and co consuming devices, uh, you will have to get into the you know the, the uh, a much deeper understanding of your building and the contributions to that building based on people, based on weather, based on condition of the building. So people will have to look at the condition of the building, saying, "Hey, you know." Uh, We've got to heat this building, and uh, we've got another building next door, and we don't have to heat it as much or cool it as much. So, what are the natural ways we can do it? Why is the insulation properties of this? And and really deep, deep, deep into the the finer details of the operations of the building. So, I see definitely new sectors growing in terms of the green economy. Definitely new sectors growing in terms of adaptation of energy efficiency and energy management. Um, not only just and in the active management of price parity and arbitrage, what what can I buy at what time that will give me that security and overdrive the overall operational expense? No, most certainly. And, uh, you know, one of the big things that uh, is coming across is the fact that um, there has to be a huge shift in the way that uh, people are thinking around, uh, you know, a lot of these issues. And uh, one of the things that really comes out is... Um, I guess, a tracking of uh, energy requirements um, and the like. I remember chatting to one of my friends recently. Uh, they had the misfortune of having a substation uh, blowing up in their area. And basically, uh, the power authority, the local power authority saying to them, guys, unfortunately, you guys, uh, it's going to take us four months to rebuild this thing. So you guys are on your own for the next four months and uh, they've had to uh, this is a friend who's in farming so he they've got a farm and immediately um, the entire operation you know goes to the ground because even just the ability to uh, pump water out of the taps and pump water into the fields um, is compromised because usually you need um, water pumps that are able you know that you know to to make things happen so the crop got ruined um, you know people had to be let go and one of the big things that I was talking to him about recently he was saying because they've now switched to a, a completely solar tap of setup understandably um, you know just because there is no escom you know that's gonna come and charge batteries and the like they just have to rely on the sun and um, i was really thinking about it when you were talking about um, what is essential and non-essential use um, of energy because that's one of the big things he was talking to me about he was like when you are on solar 
it changes your entire life because you now have to rethink when do I cook? You know, when do we bath? When do you give time for geezers to, to, to heat up and the like? Because you need to try and do as much as possible during the day when the sun is out and try to minimize um, consumption at night um, when, um, when the sun isn't there and you're relying solely uh, on the battery, on what's been happening with the battery storage and the like uh, to make that happen. So really relatable uh, because that's a micro case. And, you know, one can extrapolate that to, you know, organizations, people that have their different buildings out there and uh, facilities and how people are thinking around all of, uh, you know, all of that. So, um, and I think a good place. On that, right? Yes. What what is that? Your friend. He now understands waste of energy. Pardon? He, He now understands where he's wasting energy. Yes, the, 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 the upskilling that you were talking about just now, the education and, you know, management around power, 100%. Like, that's the, he is the type of person that can tell you when and how <laughs> everything is happening. Maybe a farmer or a pharmacist or an accountant or, you know, and he's been forced to do it now. But now he understands, wait, this is waste. This is not, I don't need this. And, and, that, and that was driven, I mean, if you think about the history of our country and the, the cheap power and, the, and how we, we've been protected in terms of cheap power over all the years. We had, at one point, we had too many power stations electrifying 20% of the country. That same fleet now electrifies maybe 98% of the country. So the shift had to be, well, we've got power. And we've got the, and then what they did was they went to big energy intensive businesses and got and 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 put pricing um, uh, pricing deals in place that are not sustainable, right? So there's 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 um, there are energy intensive uh, businesses that are paying well below what ESCOM would charge in terms of uh, uh, in terms of their costs. That are getting in these elections because of the contracts. Otherwise, you know, the next thing is that that drove some of the industrialization, and then the electrification part. We had to catch up. We had to electrify the entire country. We could the transmission network, the distribution network had to expand to match what was being generated to the requirement because the requirement wasn't real. The requirement was okay. We we only we only giving electricity to, to, to 20% of the country. So, so, I mean, the education and where the countries come, we, we, because of that cheap electricity, we didn't care. I mean, if somebody comes and says, we're going to put this fridge in and or this motors and pumps and all these finer energy-consuming devices and say we want underfloor heating <laughs> and all these things, I mean, I know it's a simple thing, but, you ask anybody who's paying now and solely they've got the underflow eating active. I, 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 I can't see it, you know, but, but if from a design point of view, it was in there. It doesn't even make sense because if you think about geothermal technology, the heat, the earth's core, if you have a water system that can go basically down into the earth's core, not the earth's core, but it gets warmer as you go down, you know, lower. So that's natural heat. That's just the free. 
you see over time, people will start putting in geothermal to heat um, premises because HVAC systems underflow heating. These things are, are, are a continuous cost and linked to the cost of energy. So geysers, you know, everybody, nobody talks about geysers anymore. They talk about heat pumps, right? And heat pumps are no different in terms of technology than an air conditioner. But why were heat pumps not part of our, and heat pumps, you know, uh, use considerably less energy than a geyser. But there were these plans. ESCOM actually drove a plan to implement geysers. So I saw once there was an article and, a, and an advertisement from ESCOM saying that households should adopt geysers, you know. And yes, geysers have, and, and if you think about the evolution of geysers, they're very simple. So it's very easy to implement, make it part of the, the um, national building requirements, et cetera, that you need to have a geyser. And, and all of these finer um, uh, implementation angles, if you call it, lead to this issue. Now you're being forced to say, well, uh, we're in this issue. And going back to my point of would we have been as active in the space? Would we have been, uh, been as knowledgeable? Would we be even having these conversations between you and a, a ferian that's a farmer around this if we weren't put in this predicament? And what it's going to do is it's going to, for generations to come, the teachings and the learnings of this is going to help us reduce waste. And by reducing waste, we reduce the requirement to continually build power stations. You know, effectively, you can't be an economy, it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. And I think that's a limitation. I think uh, I like where we've gone in this conversation. Um, Starting off talking about you know the macro the macro economy and you know interest rates and the like and uh, the effect on the you know on the property sector, but um, I guess when you're looking at a country like South Africa, I was commenting to someone to say that uh, the current global economy that we're in right now it's a unique time in the economy simply because you have uh, starting with the pandemic countries so many countries facing the same challenges right because most of the time you have maybe one war-torn part of the world and they're dealing with their crisis but through covid we all had shortage of goods we were all indoors we all had to shift uh, to to either some mode of remote working, social distancing, mask. Everyone around the world was going through that. And now we find ourselves in this moment where uh, the world is coming out of COVID, but energy has become such a huge considerations. And even in countries like uh, places like Europe that you were talking about just now, to say that the gas crisis has actually caused an energy crisis in Europe, uh, the likes of which have been seen on the continent in Africa for you know a while now. So suddenly we're now all together. And uh, you think of what happened in places like, I think, Texas last year um, with uh, some of the power cuts that they were having um, in the United States. So everyone is grappling around um, this particular issue of energy, but more importantly, the issue of sustainability. And one can imagine that a department like yours at uh, Brawl has sort of come front and center now 
um, you know, because people have had to evolve, um, you know, a lot of their thinking uh, and planning. And I think for us, that's a good place for us to end today's discussion. Um, and I wanted to pose a scenario to you. And, you know, this will be your your expert opinion on um you know, just as a, as a sounding off, uh, you know, for where the property sector is um, at the moment. And I think it will bring everything together. You're a property. I'm a property developer. And uh, what you call it? Yeah, I'm a property developer. My buildings are, you know, 40% done. You, you can see them, the structures are there. But now I'm sitting here. And I've just listened to Mitesh talking about how we need to change all of these different considerations around, uh, you know, the design and power availability, all of this stuff. What should uh, the property sector be thinking about in terms of new construction? Um, obviously, there are a lot of technologies that you highlighted to us. But in the present moment, for the next five years, what is viable? Is it doubling down on solar and batteries and you know that type and diesel those types of things that are already there or or you know are we already seeing some of the implementations of uh, i think you're talking about things like your geothermal um and the like is that a fight is that a you know an immediate up to the next five years type of thing or are those uh, like uh, more sort of long-term uh, considerations right now someone is building and they're like mitesh what can i implement now just to make sure uh, that we are mitigating some of the insecurity that's coming from load shedding yeah so there are international and and and, and national frameworks around setting targets um you know to reduce there are frameworks around green building design um, practices, areas of focus. A lot of a lot of it is related to uh, you know energy and water. So there are these frameworks on how to essentially build a green building, how to use sustainable um, building materials. Uh, you know how to 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 look at longevity and sustainability. It's about the implementation of these things and the active management of it. That's why we as Brawl firmly, we are firm firm believers in there's, a, there's an aspect of design from a property entity, but there's a bigger aspect of operational excellence. And that's where we want to focus on. So we want to be the active partners in that everybody. I mean, we we you need to build the ethos around this. So you need to train people. So, so for example, my 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 plan. Um, I'll expose my plan, but I mean, you you need to you need to have everybody ingrained in understanding um, what what the, what I talk about is is waste of energy. So, so even if your bowling doesn't have controls, for example, you can very easily upskill. Um, the cleaners and the trainers uh, and, the, and, the, and the security and everybody that's in the buildings at night um, to identify, record, um, you know, areas that have been left on, um, you know, and, 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 and get an understanding of, again, what is essential and what is not essential. I'm still baffled by the fact that 
you can drive in and around any city in the world and unoccupied properties have still got all their lights on, all their, you know, doesn't make sense. Um, you, you, uh, where, where are you based? Uh, our offices are in Parktown. So, I mean, you know <laughs> what I'm talking about, right? You, but, but, but that comes from, you know, ingrained policies, not national policies, ingrained policies within the environments. You know, you need, you need, you need active, um, active upskilling of, 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 of people. Um, there is definitely a shortage of skills, I think, in the, in the, in the space. But, but, you know, if you're the CEO of the company, you, you want to know why, uh, you know, are the buildings being left on? Why is the HVAC? You know, these are what, a bigger understanding also is if you build a building, you, you need to be, you need to be, uh, to point I'm sorry, but you need, you need to be, you need to actively understand where your significant area, energy usage or intensities are. So in a building, it's generally lighting, fans, um, HVAC is the biggest. So if you look at HVAC, you know, you're looking at 25 or 30 or sometimes 50% of the consumption happening uh, based on the heating, ventilation and cooling of the building. So that, you know, the, if you want to look, you look for opportunities and you look for opportunities with lighting. And that must be incorporated back to your, your development from a design point of view because actually your building, your house, whatever it is, if your building is cool in summer and warm in winter, you've you've covered a lot of your a lot of your um, energy requirements. It's then okay within a household. I'll tell you what I did at my house. Let's 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 talk about my my house. I don't have any solar generation because my roof space isn't big enough because what I've done is I've put uh, solar geysers on my roof. I made the decision that actually the hot water requirement in my house, the energy consumed for about hot water is big, big enough for me to, to look at that instead of solar because even if I had solar, it wouldn't be able to supply me hot water. So what I've done is put solar geysers on the roof. The solar geysers then go into a gas geyser. So from a gas perspective, I've created now a different energy source. So it's different gas. The gas provides me with my hot water requirements and my cooking. And that in a house is your biggest energy consuming uh, area. So I've solved for that now. So now what do I look at? I look at, okay, lighting. Uh, reduce all my, my lighting. Um, put better technology in and current. Suddenly, my, my, my demand is now reduced. So then. The, the, the now, now I say, okay, if I need to put batteries in, what is my actual requirement of my battery? Now, my battery size, if I install the battery, the, bat, the same battery capacity that a normal household would, if to cover a four-hour window. But what do I get from my system? I get 16 hours of autonomy on my batteries because there's efficiency in my household, you know? And even though I've got five people in my household, my household is still the lowest energy consumption. Um, my household still consumes the lowest amount of energy compared to the 13 other households in my complex. Uh, in my complex. 
And the 13 other house cells don't, they've got less, some of them have got less people in the house and they still use more. So they haven't actively looked at some of these uh, opportunities and efficiencies that exist. So, yeah, I mean, the same must apply to a building. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's got a roof. <laughs> it's got a, uh, it's got windows. It, it, it's got walls. Um, and it's about understanding the active management of the participants, educating, uh, you know, the, the people that are involved in the day-to-day -day activities. Something that I've seen in terms of, 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 of um, awareness is you, people come into the office and they immediately plug their laptops in, right? I've seen it every day, everybody. And technically you don't have to uh, plug your laptop in because it's got a battery. But because people haven't been educated around what the impact of that is based on the morning load that the building experiences, they haven't done anything about it. Now, if they did something about it, it not only has a economic effect on the building itself, but it also has a greater effect on what we have an issue on in terms of the morning and the evening peak loads. So it's these type of things that, you know, educating people around this and that, and, um, it, it is compounded by the energy availability factor. So, so, so because they might not have had energy at home, they come in and they plug everything in the office or wherever the, wherever there is energy at the moment, go have a coffee and charge your phone because charge your batteries, et cetera, for your laptops. But it's all based on this energy availability factor and the cost of that energy availability factor. So, yes, there's these. I mean, going back to the construction, I'll go back to the construction. But yes, to touch on to your previous issue around Texas, the, the only issue they had was there they had the natural disaster around the flooding and all of those things, um, and the energy availability factor was low because of the where they get their generating capacity from you know same with the uk and the us i mean the, i mean i mean the european countries at the moment they were a big in, uh, importer of the gas and their gas generators weren't able to produce gas so they yes they had a they have war and the, and the us has got the, the climate climate related issues but it's all the same thing in terms of energy availability factor and the cost of that energy availability so we in the same predicament, but because of external factors, it's energy availability and the cost of energy availability. So it's quite, you know, we'll talk about macro, macro, macro. And yes, there are factors of macro, but yeah, there's different macro um, issues with the same uh, micro end user issue. That needs to be solved. So that's been it. It has been a very fascinating discussion uh, with Mitesh just around, um, you know, the state of the property sector in South Africa. As I mentioned earlier on, um, you know, you look at uh, what's going on in the macro environment and how it affects uh, the micro environment in this particular case. How does uh, the macro economy affect, you know, uh, specific buildings, specific, uh, yeah, yeah, specific buildings uh, that are out there? Yeah, I spoke quite a bit 
bit about uh, you know the interest rate environment and coming out of COVID, what that has done uh, to the property sector, and then spend quite a bit of time talking um, around what is probably uh, the biggest uh, microeconomic issue in South Africa, and that is um, energy availability and how it is affecting and affected um, you know considerations around property management in the country uh, because so many buildings have had to you know now come with their own um, power generation and power storage capacity and all of these different considerations and uh, one of the big messages that Mitesh is trying to drive is to say we really need to be rethinking how management is uh, management of energy is done but more importantly um, deciphering energy use so what is necessary and what is not necessary um, in terms of that power usage um, he used uh, uh, the example of underflow heating which i thought was quite amusing earlier on you know to say that uh, this is one of those things that people design into the buildings but if you are trying to co- trying to make the best use of your energy in a load shedding environment then underflow heating doesn't make any sense whatsoever um, right um, so to say that you know some of those different factors and also just giving his own um, example as well just around some of the things that he's done um, at his own house and uh, being able to increase those efficiencies and saying that um, you know that type of thinking can help uh, property owners property managers to do quite a lot you know on uh, on a wider scale where you have built that can house from uh, you know from 50 people all the way up to a thousand people just depending uh, on the size of uh, on the size of the property and I think uh, that's going to be an interesting shift going forward especially as it's informed by people having to um, I think we spoke about it quite a bit earlier on the fact that people uh, we I laugh about it with some of my friends to say we're all becoming energy experts um, in one way or another because we're being forced to think about you know batteries inverters and solar and diesel and all of this and uh, that's the thing that Mitesh is saying to say that we are all being forced uh, to really think about um, how we are consuming energy in South Africa and hopefully um, a lot of that learning over time goes into um, how policies are going to be developed and how the country can map its way forward. So that's been it. We're chatting to Mitesh Bawan, who is Managing Director um, uh, for um, Energy, Water and Sustainability over at uh, Bro Properties. Mitesh, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, Mudima. Thanks for um, an interesting conversation. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from myself and the rest of the team it is a good evening good afternoon and good morning